Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I have to say that I have been back from the Improved Photography Retreat for over a week by the time you hear this episode here in late March 2017. And I still just can't stop thinking about the experience. Now, I already went into details on that in the last episode. So it's one that's called the Retreat Top 10. And I'm not going to say any more here. Although if you want to hear some more about the conference, I joined Aaron King and Brendan Porter on their Photog Adventures podcast episode 26, where we spent about an hour talking about it some more. They shared from their attendee perspective how it went. And if you're interested and would like to hear a little bit more about it, then you can head over to Photog Adventures and subscribe to their podcast. Listen, check out that episode 26. All right. I mention it because there are a few follow-up topics to tackle in today's episode that I want to make sure I spend some time on in this episode while it's still fresh in my mind and in the minds of the attendees of the retreat. Now, the good thing is these are not topics that are unique to those who went to the retreat. So if you didn't go, there's still things that I believe are going to apply and be helpful because these are some tips that people asked me about while I was at the conference. And if they're asking, most likely many of you listening are also asking. So I have three Lightroom tips that I'm going to go through on the episode today. Before getting to those tips, I want to quickly mention something I posted to all of the Improved Photography Facebook groups. On 3.7.17, Adobe updated Lightroom to version 2015.9 or 6.9 while I was at the retreat. And since I was there, I didn't have time to kind of look at it and see how it went or even take a look at the Adobe forums that I normally, as I normally do, since it came out during the retreat and I was just super busy at the retreat. So I wanted to give you, Photo Taco listeners, a warning that I've heard from many people that they've had some rather strange issues after updating. And we're still working out about whether or not it was due to the update or other factors there were kind of some strange problems that don't seem to make a lot of sense as I've contacted some, some people to talk through the issues. Anyway, in all cases thus far, resetting Lightroom preferences has fixed the issues. And you can look up how to do that by just searching reset Lightroom preferences. And uh, Victoria Bampton's article is likely to be one of the first that comes up on how to reset your preferences in Lightroom. As usual, she has a great article about how to do that. Or you can check the show notes. I'll put a link to that in the show notes there. As we always recommend on both the Improved Photography Podcast and here on Photo Taco, it's best to hold off updating if you can't afford to have any bumps with Lightroom until we kind of give the all clear. And this is a good example. We're not exactly sure what the issues are yet. We're not exactly sure what's going on. But it's best to just wait a week or two, maybe even up to a month after the update so that we can give any chance to kind of warn you that there might be some problems. I've heard lots of people have been updated fine and they're just fine. In fact, my own experience is that way. I've updated in my Mac and my PC and they're both great. I don't have any problems. I'm not replicating any of the issues that people have seen, but I've heard from a number of listeners that I've had struggles. So if you can't afford any downtime, just give it a little bit so we can make sure we, we kind of iron out what's going on there. All right, let's get into the three tips then. Tip number one, 
keyboard shortcuts. Now, I'm pretty sure this was the very most asked question as I was doing one-on-one portfolio reviews with people. So I was going through photos with them at the conference using the keyboard shortcuts that I've learned over years of using Lightroom. And almost without fail, pretty much every time I did it, the photographers would stop me doing the portfolio and say, what did you just do? How did you make that happen? (laughs) What you just did in Lightroom. And so I'd, I'd try to teach them right there what the keyboard shortcuts were, giving them like keyword phrases to remember with it. And I don't know how much it's going to sink in. And I kind of took away from the conference that I should, in this podcast, I should tell you a way to, t- to make yourself familiar with the keyboard shortcuts. It can be so helpful to decreasing your workflow time. It takes time every time you have to take your fingers off the mouse or off the keyboard, changing from doing something else, or even moving the mouse all the way across the screen over to do something back and forth. That's, that's a slower way to work through Lightroom. And if you can get the keyboard shortcuts, that's the reason they're there. It's much faster to get to some features and functions if you'll take the time to learn the keyboard shortcuts. It may take some time to do it, but I really think it will help you in the long run. So the easiest way perhaps right now to learn those keyboard shortcuts is to use a feature in Lightroom to show them to you. And it's going to be a little hard to describe. Hopefully you can kind of get in front of the keyboard, but it's the on on Mac it is anywhere in Lightroom if you press command and slash. It's the forward slash, not the backslash. And that's why it's hard because there's two slashes on the keyboard. But it's the, the one that's kind of at the bottom of the keyboard next to like the shift keys. On both Mac and PC, it's consistent. That's where it is. It's the one near the space bar by the right shift key. There's a slash there. And that's the one. If you hit command and that key, then any place you are in Lightroom, it will show this overlay what of, of all of the keyboard shortcuts specific to where you are in Lightroom. If you're in the develop module, you'll get the develop module keyboard shortcuts. If you're in the library module, you'll get the library keyboard shortcuts. And on Windows, it's control slash. So pretty similar command to command slash Mac, control slash on Windows. This overlay pops up and you can learn it. So that's that's where you should start. Get Go in there, take a look at that, and that's great. There's also some really good guides online that list them all. There's plenty of places you can go pull those from. One of my favorites, again, comes from Victoria Bampton over at lightroomqueen.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. But um, another option, and, and you can print those out, sorry, you can print out those guides that are there and have them kind of as reference, and that might make a, a more sense to some. That's kind of how I did it. I printed out that sheet and I had it sitting next to me while I was editing until I got them down. And it, it only took a few weeks after trying to consistently use them. And it's to the point now where it's muscle memory. I, I don't even have to think about what it is that I'm trying to get to, what tool I'm trying to use or what keyboard shortcut I'm going to. And it's just repeated use like anything, like your camera buttons to, if you do it over and over and over, then you'll be able to get it down. And it's really super helpful. All right. The other idea that I have in this is, is an interesting one. And I saw it at the conference and that Sandy Duro had a really cool overlay on her keyboard physical overlay, like a little plastic overlay. And there's lots of different options that you can have on this. Um, as some people were talking about this at the conference, uh, people have seen some bad ones where when your screen is down on top of it a lot, it actually kind of let, bled some ink from the overlay of the keyboard onto the screen. They could get it off, but it, was, it wasn't good to have to deal with that all the time. And the ink was coming off of the overlay. Sandy's didn't wasn't that way. It was beautiful. It looked 
like it was just the keys were altered to have the keyboard shortcuts on them. It was very cool. And so I got the specific product that she was using. I don't have it, so don't ask me a lot about it, but but she highly recommends it. She loves it and it's been durable. It's worked really, really well for her. It's just become like part of her computer now. It's she wouldn't she doesn't know what to do without it. And it's it's something called X S K N. So that's the letter X S K N, like X skin is the product name. It's the X-Skin, X-S-K-N, Adobe Lightroom Shortcuts Keyboard Skin. <laughs> so you can probably just search for Adobe Lightroom Shortcuts Keyboard Skin, which is really easy too, <laughs> and find the X-S-K-N brand. They only make it for Mac, so I already looked for that. So PC users, I'm sorry, this is one tip that you're not gonna be able to get. I'm sure there are other options for PC. Again, I didn't use them. I used the, the cheat sheets that I printed from Victoria's website to, to learn this and the command slash or control slash option overlay to learn it. Um, but they make them for uh, MacBook Air 13, MacBook Pro 13, 15, 17, the Retinas 13, 15 computers, and for the Apple Magic keyboards. They're, they're less than 20 bucks. Looked really great on Sandy's computer. So if that's something that helps you, that, that type of learning seems to be a way for a lot of people to be able to get that. So check that out and see if you're interested in that. I have two more Lightroom tips from uh, that came up during the retreat, but it's time to quickly thank the sponsor for this episode, which is Improve Photography Plus. The subscription service gives you unlimited access to everything Improve Photography has ever created, including video trading, Lightroom presets, and access to many of the hosts on the Improve Photography Podcast Network. It's only $19.95 a month to subscribe. You can start your free trial today by heading over to improvephotographyplus.com. I want to thank Jim and improvephotographyplus.com for making this episode possible. Tip number two is lens recognition. So I have a Tamron 24 to 70 f 2.8 lens that I absolutely love. It almost never leaves my Canon 70 Mark II camera. Very universal kind of lens. It is my walk around lens now and it's great. It's well built, high quality. It's made a huge difference, a noticeable difference over my kit lenses that I'd been using. The one seriously annoying thing about it though is when I go to apply a lens correction profile in Lightroom, to the images that I've shot with that lens, Lightroom was auto-detecting the lens to be a Sigma 24 to 70. Now the two profiles, the two lens profiles between the Tamron and the Sigma, they're really, really close. They're both 24 to 70 lenses. They both have really good quality and they're, they're pretty close, but I wanted to have the right profile be applied to my photos when I'm applying a lens correction. And it didn't, okay, it didn't really take that long to fix this because all you have to do is change the make in the, drop downs there in the lens profile correction box in the develop module, change it to Tamron and boom, it says, oh, this is the Tamron 24 to 70. And you see a visible difference. So it's not like the profiles are so close that the photo remained exactly like it was with the Sigma. It did, it, it, it changed visibly. I could see with my eyes, it did do something differently. So I, I wanted to make sure I had the right correction and it doesn't take that long to do it, but long enough and got annoying to do it every single time I wanted to apply the lens correction profile to that photo for that lens I had to go an additional click or two to make it to change it from Tamron to, to uh, Sigma and this came up at the conference multiple times we would go check out the profile correction settings on a photo as I was going through Lightroom and the top 14 photos that people were wanting to show me and it would be the wrong one they'd say oh I, well, I'd click the box because they hadn't applied the correction and uh, it would identify the lens incorrectly. 
And it's a, you know what, I remember there's a way to fix this, but I can't remember exactly what it was right now. I've only done it once and I couldn't remember. So I came home, I played around with it in Lightroom and I figured out what it was I did to make this work. So here is how you do it. If Lightroom is incorrectly detecting the lens profile for your lens, you can give it some help. So what you do is go into the lens correction settings. You're going to want to enable the checkbox to apply lens correction. Enable profile corrections is the checkbox there. And then you're going, it will auto detect. Lightroom will try to auto detect what the lens is. If it does it wrong, then you fix it. You, you select either the correct make drop down in model if that's necessary. If it, if it doesn't get the right model, then fix both of it. Make it so it's the right profile. And then it's a pretty simple thing. From there, right underneath that enabled profile corrections checkbox, there's this label that says setup. And by default, it's going to go to auto, I think it is. And what there's, if you click on that drop down right next to setup there, one of the options is save new lens profile defaults. And what you're doing is telling Lightroom that when the metadata from the photo says, when you see this metadata from the photo about the lens, instead of applying the, the profile it was defaulting to in auto mode, you're gonna tell it, no, I want it to use the settings that I just put in. So that's why you have to correct it first, make it so that you have the right profile corrected, the correct profile in there. Then you go hit that drop down setup and choose save new lens profile defaults. And now whenever you go to apply a lens correction to a photo and you use that lens, Lightroom will, will apply the correct portfolio um, or the, the correct profile, lens profile for your photo. All right, so that's tip number two. All right, tip number three has to do with Lightroom, running Lightroom on two computers. Now, before you get all excited, I am not talking about two computers. I'm on the same network, trying to edit like the same session of photos, like splitting up the work and doing the post-processing as a team of, of photographers or professional editors, whatever it might be. That's not what we're talking about here. That is not something that Lightroom supports today. I don't anticipate it even coming anytime soon. It's just not a feature that's available. And there's some possible workarounds I think people have tried, but boy, you're asking for trouble. You're asking to corrupt your, your catalog. Don't recommend trying to, to do that. Now, instead, what I'm talking about here is the scenario where you have a desktop computer and a laptop computer, and you want to kind of get your catalog synced between the two. And there's a lot of solutions here. And I'm going to go through one of the solutions or a couple of different scenarios, but there's really one that I prefer. I think it's one of the safest options that's available. There are multiple ways to do this. And at, so let, let's set up the scenario a little better. At home, you work on a desktop computer. Maybe it's an iMac, maybe it's Windows desktop from like HP or Dell or any of the big box places or custom built PC like I use. Whatever the case, you edit on this big, fast computer at home. You have your mouse, your keyboard, full-size keyboard. You have your big screen. You have maybe a graphics tablet. You've got a whole setup there. But when you're going on a trip or to a conference like the Improved Photography Retreat, well, you can't bring that with you unless you're Nick Page. I, crazy. So just real quick, Nick brought his graphics tablet with him. He loves that thing so much and, and needs it for his photo editing so much now that he dragged along with him his massive graphics tablet so that he could use that as he edited. There's no way I'd do that. They're too big. They're too brittle, too. I'd be worried about breaking it, but whatever. He, <laughs> he brought it along. So unless you're Nick, for everyone else, you leave all of that stuff at home and you're going to bring a laptop with you. 
And so you're going to do some things there. It's not ideal compared to your desktop setup at home, but you, you certainly aren't going to wait more than a week to take a closer look at the photos than you can get on that tiny little LCD screen on your camera. All right, so you do that, you do some edits, you maybe even share to, to Facebook or social media, like uh, Instagram, whatever it is, and you've used Lightroom on the road, maybe in a brand new catalog. A lot of people, I think this was the first time, I know there were several listeners who they went and bought a laptop specifically to take it to the conference because they wanted to be able to post-process at the conference. And so they'd never faced this challenge about, well, what do I do when I get back home? How do I incorporate the changes and the edits that I made into Lightroom on the laptop into my catalog that's on my desktop at home, since those are two completely different things. And like I said, there's some options here for this. One could be that you put all of your photos and your Lightroom catalog on an external hard drive, and you use that when you're doing your Lightroom editing from either computer. That means that you can edit at home and you're editing off of that external hard drive. And then all you have to do is like eject the hard drive. Make sure you do that in the operating system, by the way. That's an important thing to reduce the chances of corrupting your Lightroom catalog. Properly eject the drive in your OS. So in Mac OS, there's a little icon in Finder next to the drive. You click on that, it ejects the drive, and you can safely disconnect the USB cable or the Thunderbolt cable and um, move the drive to another computer. Or on Windows, in the lower, in the system tray, there's a little eject media uh, thing there, and you, you can do the same thing. You kind of just eject that drive and then you can disconnect it. So I didn't intend to share that tip actually, but that's an important thing to make sure you do. Make sure that that happens or else you do run the risk a little bit of um, corrupting your catalog. Or if that's complicated, uh, if you're not sure what to do there, then at least make sure you've shut down the Lightroom, uh, um, like all the way, shut down Lightroom, get out of it, and give it a few seconds before you you pull the plug out of the computer so that it's uh, the operating system is not writing to the hard drive and uh, you risking corruption. All right, so that's not the point of this <laughs> this tip, but there you go, you got a bonus tip now. So you, you have that situation, you could do it off the hard drive. It's a pretty good solution and it's a very easy solution. It isn't without negatives though. You slightly increase the risk of corrupting your catalog like I just talked about. If you don't eject the drive properly and maybe you like accidentally bump the cord and, and it disconnects right in the middle of writing to the catalog, you could corrupt your catalog and that would be unfun. <laughs> if you do backups of the catalog well, then, then you can recover pretty easily. But, you know, I want to reduce the chances of that every time I get. There's also performance penalties there. If you're connected to Thunderbolt, it's not too big a deal. But USB, even USB 3.0, it's slower than the connections I can get with internal SSDs. And so I personally don't want to use that option for those two reasons, but there's some people that that works beautifully for. As long as you're careful, it's a great way to do it because there is no uh, downside as far as like losing your settings or any of, of that there. I guess there is a third downside a little bit, and that's to me, it makes the backups a little bit harder and it's certainly going to make them slower. If you're going to back up from one external drive to another, you've got to have both connected and then it's got to go over USB on both ends and that can make the back up slower. Um, so there, there's some potential downsides, but boy, is it a much simpler process and you can make sure you have all of your photos and all of your catalog with you at all times. And uh, it's, it's a pretty good solution, just not the one that I choose uh, because I don't, I don't want to work off of an external drive. 
Another common solution to this problem is to enable writing of XMP sidecar files. I'm not going to go how to do that. You can search it really easily in Google to be able to say how to turn this on. I'm pretty sure by default it's off in Lightroom. And so what, what this is doing though, is every time that you do star ratings or most of the edits in Lightroom, there's some exceptions we'll go through in a second, then it's writing those things out to the hard drive in files right next to your original photos. So there's the, it's a .xmp extension on the files and it stores a lot of the information of what you're doing in Lightroom out to those files. A lot of people really like that as a backup to their catalog. That way, they, if they do have a corruption problem that happens and the database that gets used by the catalog is messed up, then you have these XMP files that have all the edits in them and you can kind of rebuild the catalog using those. So that's one of the early downsides to this thing is now you can't really say that those are your backup for your catalog because it's going to be the primary way that you're chantering these edits that you're making from one computer to the next. The scenario would be that you have a brand new catalog in your laptop and when you make the changes, every change you make is being written out to those XMP files. When you get home, what you do is uh, they're not on an external drive. You copy both your photos and those XMP files over to your desktop computer and when you import those photos into Lightroom, Lightroom will see those XMP files right next to them and it will know to apply those edits to the catalog on your desktop. So that solves the problem for most of what you can do in Lightroom, almost all of it. And it's a decent solution. Uh, mentioned the downside already of now you really can't consider those XMP files your backup to your catalog. But if it's really transitory, like you're only using that Lightroom catalog on your laptop per like trip that you're going on, then you don't have to worry about it a whole lot. You, it, It's not that big of a downside. But you're also slightly increasing your chance for corrupting your original photos. Not everything gets written to the .xmp file. Sometimes it changes the header of the photo files themselves. And even though the updates are minimal, the more times that you're touching those files, the more opportunity there is for something to go wrong. So you kind of run the risk. It's, it's little. I'm not saying this is a massive risk, but it's a, there's a little bit of a risk that if you use .xmp files that you could lose your photo your original photo. So there, that's that's kind of a downside. You get bigger backups too. Uh, backup software usually detects file changes happening. And it takes, these files are rather big. So if you're syncing to the cloud especially, and you're using an automated solution, your, your software running on your computer looks at that original file, and it tries to determine if it's changed. And if it hasn't, and it's already backed it up, it's already put your you know, 25 megabyte or 50 megabyte file out in the cloud, which takes some time. If it hasn't changed locally on your computer and it knows it's got the backup in the cloud of that same file, then it skips it and it doesn't have to go, it knows it doesn't have to go back that up. Well, if you make changes and it gets written out to that file, now it's gonna think it has to back up the whole thing again. So bigger backups, slower backups is, is a negative. Both of these are so little, I wouldn't really worry about them. If you want to use XMP sidecar files to do this, I wouldn't worry about those two things. But the next one, I I personally can't use them for this reason. And that's because not everything you do in Lightroom can be written to XMP files. The things that can't, the most important things that can't, pick and reject flags. So if you use the pick flag or the reject flag in your workflow, that does not go to XMP files. Virtual copies, nothing you do on a virtual copy gets written out to an XMP file. 
and no collection membership. So if you created a collection in your catalog and you use collections as part of your workflow, and this is the big one for me because I really use collections in my workflow. I love collections. None of that information gets written out to XMP files. Um, there's some other things that I that aren't a big deal to me, but you should be aware. Um, uncommitted location data. So if you've got GPS information or you've updated the GPS information, then that won't make it out to XMP files. Your develop history does not go out there. All, all the XMP file will have is the very latest edits that you've done. Where you ended your editing on a particular photo, that information will be there. But any history you have done, and if you use snapshots, that would be kind of a big deal too, that does not get written out to the XMP file. That's only in the catalog. Um, stacks are another thing. If you use stacks, that does not get written out to XMP files. So if any of those features are things that you use in your workflow, this is not a, a, a solution for you. You do not want to use XMP files to solve this problem of getting your edits that you did on your laptop over to your desktop when you get home. So now let's talk about the option that I actually use, the one that I prefer, and it's not without downsides. So I'll make sure to, to go over what those downsides are. But Here's how I do it. I have my main Lightroom catalog. I have all the previews and the photos. I have everything on my Windows PC at home. That's where I do 95% or more of my editing. And I've turned, I've tuned it to get the most performance I can out of it. That's why I have a Windows desktop because I can really, I, I, I can get the thing to run fast and really get a lot of performance out of it. Now I don't personally edit a lot while on the road just not a use case that falls into the type of photography that I do. But I do it enough that I've had to figure out a solution to this problem. I mean, you only have to really do it once to try to have to figure out what to do. And I do it, you know, three, four, six times a year, something like that. And so I have to make sure that I know what I'm going to do and I've had enough practice at it to understand how it is that I want to do it. To make things more complicated, I actually use a Mac while on the road and I use Windows at home. So I'm actually cross-platform in my usage, which is good because I get exposure to both platforms and how Lightroom is working on both. And it helps me for the podcast to be able to provide content and help for both platforms. I really love my MacBook Pro for editing while not at home. So not only do I want to transfer my edits I make while on the road to my desktop when I get back, but I also have to switch platforms between Mac and PC when I get back. The cool thing is there's a really good solution for this. It's really good at doing cross-platform. I was so pleased to see how well it worked and that there wasn't a problem that if you edited on the Mac and you wanted to move it over to the PC, that that would be an issue. It could have been, there could have been ways to cause that be a problem, but I just love it. Adobe did a good job here in making this a, an option to make that go. So when I get home, what I do is I connect an external drive to my MacBook Pro and I, I, this is very temporary that I'm using this. So I have an external drive I'll connect up. It's USB. It doesn't really matter as much the speed here. I mean, I want it to go as fast as I can. But um, USB is universal between those two platforms. If you use the Thunderbolt drive and you've got Mac on both ends or something like that, then the great, whatever. It That doesn't matter. The speed is not really the biggest issue here. Um, if it's going to take a little bit of time, I can start the process and go do something else for a little bit and come back. That's the luxury I have. I understand if, if you're really anxious to get this thing moved over so you can finish an edit session, especially if you, if you're trying to get stuff back to a client, um, then, then that could be a bigger issue. And having a Thunderbolt connected external drive would be an important factor. I'd at least make it sure it's USB 3.0. 
um, to, to make this work. You could do this over a network, but that's going to be significantly slower to copy these files using a network than, um, than using an external drive. Even USB 3.0 is going to be a lot faster. It's at least a lot easier to set up. Okay, so I go into Lightroom on my Mac after I connect the drive and I export the photos from my trip to a catalog on that drive. I have more photos usually on my Mac than what was on just that latest trip, whatever I went to. So I select the photos from in Lightroom, in open that catalog there, and I select the photos and then I choose export to catalog. And it will export the photos and it will export all my settings and I'm gonna, it's gonna create a brand new catalog on my USB drive. And it's just temporary. I'm only doing this to transfer it to my Windows PC. Then I go over to my Windows PC. Well, I, I eject the drive. I go into Finder. I eject the USB drive after it's done. Close Lightroom down, eject the drive, make sure it's all written out so I don't have any potential for corruption. And then unplug the drive, connect it to my Windows PC, open up Lightroom, and I do import catalog. And I point to that brand new catalog that I created on that USB drive from my Mac and it imports the photos and it imports the edits and just brings it all into my catalog exactly the same as it was on my Mac. So the file structure is the same, the edits are the same, I have all my virtual copies, everything is there. So I prefer this solution a lot for how it is that I work. I use flags, I use stacks, I use virtual copies and collections. So XMP files doing that process is out for me. I don't like the XMP either because it slows down Lightroom as you use it. You gotta think about it. Every time you're making an edit, it's having to write stuff out to those XMP files. And Adobe's tried to make it so that that's buffered up and, and it will do them more at once, wait for kind of an idle time and write the files out, but it slows things down. It has more to do. Lightroom has more to do when you use XMP files than when you don't. So I choose personally to not do that. If you rely on that for backup of your edits, then turn it on by all means but I, that personally wouldn't work for me. Also, what the external hard drive alone, working from that full time, not an option for me because of the performance mostly. But there's those other downsides too where you, you have a little bit more risk that you're going to corrupt either photos or your catalog with an external drive than you do when it's an internal drive. All right, downsides of my approach then. There are some things that are not going to go across. One is facial recognition, a fairly new feature to Lightroom. As I record this in mid 2017, those, the facial recognition stuff does not get put into an exported catalog in the process I just recommended. recommended. So now I highly recommend that you don't do facial recognition while on the road. It's another thing for Lightroom to be working on. It's gonna slow it down. It's gonna chew up battery. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me that someone would want to do that while they're on the road. I would definitely pause that function and not do that function while on the road, especially if you're gonna do that function back on your desktop at home because it's hard to get that information over. The only solution that's gonna work there is doing all of your edits and everything from that external drive. That's the only way you're gonna make that work. All right, the next one, and this is the, the only other downside that I am aware of with the process I used, and that's that if you use publishing services, like posting directly to Facebook, Flickr, other things, there's the Instagram plugin that you can use. If you use those services to publish your photos to the social media, directly from Lightroom, then that information about using those plugins won't come across. That won't be in the export of the catalog. So some of them have a history 
or a, a way to be able to look at what you've done as far as publishing photos to those services. And that won't come across. I personally don't use any of those things. I like to post myself. I find that those plugins and those publishing services, they have a tough time staying up with the latest options that you have available to you as you post out to those social media sites. So I don't personally use that. If you do, and that's important to you to have that information, this process is not for you. And again, probably the only way you're going to get that is by using editing from a single external hard drive, having all of your catalog and photos on that external drive. All right, so none of those downsides affect me. That's why I like this process and why it is that I've chosen to do that. Now, just to briefly summarize again, um, so if you didn't catch in, I, I've heard feedback from people that they like me to summarize the tip um, one more time just to hear it again. Here's the overall process. On the road, I have a catalog on my laptop. I don't create a new catalog every trip but I have a separate catalog and I know it's completely separate from the catalog I have at home on my desktop. I import my photos there, I do all the edits that I want to do, whatever I wanna change there and in that catalog. When I get home, I plug in my USB drive, I select the photos from the trip that I want to bring across and I choose file, I think it's file export as catalog. And then I pick to have the photos included and it, it creates a brand new catalog on the external drive with the photos. And, and then I'm, it's done. As soon as that process is over, I kill Lightroom on the Mac and then I eject the drive, unplug the drive from my, my Mac, plug it into my windows computer, go into Lightroom, file import catalog, and, uh, and then I point to that new catalog that just got created and it imports everything and brings it in just like I want it. So that's the solution I like the best for solving that problem. Uh, and I hope you found that helpful because that's it for this episode. Uh, as a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash phototaco, through Instagram by messaging at phototaco podcast, or through email where the address is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated. If I don't know the answer to the question and I'm challenged frequently with questions I don't know the answers to, then I'll either research it or I'll bring on an expert guest to be able to figure it out. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on the Improved Photography Network either. We have a brand new one it has been released. It is out in iTunes. You can subscribe now. It's called Latitude and it's Brett Bergerm and Brian McGuckin talking about travel photography. You're going to want to check that out if you're a travel photographer. Even if you're not, you're going to get some good tips because you're going to take a trip at some point for photography. If you went to a conference, you just took the trip <laughs> to go out and do it. So you're going to check out that podcast. Don't forget also there's Portrait Session, Tripod, and of course, Improve Photography Roundtable. Also take time to head over to the mothership at improvephotography.com for news, gear, and other photo tip articles. It is the best way to improve your photography. The views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!